another episode of Off The Rails, the Millennials podcast where we go off on tangents, talking all things music, books and what we're obsessed with week to week. Off The Rails is part of the Off The Record Network. I'm your co-host Madeline and today my co-host is with me Imogen. Hello. So, so how's your week been Imogen? Oh the sun is shining, we can get into pubs, it's just, I don't know about you but I've realised like how much like my like my happiness is dependent on the weather and like activities and honestly like I just feel so much better when the sun is out and it's just everyone feels happier yeah I think think seeing I think I think seeing the world a bit brighter has made me feel a bit brighter um I no longer go on Instagram and see people in New York like living it up and being like I want to cry yeah, I have one of my friends who I went to secondary school with, his name's Ashley, he travelled to Australia um, just before the pandemic hit, thought it was the worst thing ever that he got stuck out in Australia. Um, he now lives no. in Australia because during the pandemic they sorted out, um, like obviously like a work visa and that for him, and now, yeah. he, now he lives in Australia. Um, oh my god, his life is to- literally back to normal. He got to celebrate New Year's as normal. He's out clubbing, and mm. I, I have to pick and choose when to look at his Instagram stories. Oh, I, th- I don't. I think that would be a rarity for me to check his Instagram stories. I know, but then at the same time, I'm like, clubbing exists. It actually exists. Still there. I, I remember it's what it was like. Oh yeah, dear! Um, I can't wait for us to catch up with Australia. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. I got my second vaccine this week. Um, and I felt quite headachy afterwards, but I was just so happy to get it. Got it done at Law's Cricket Ground. And it was like all the posters everywhere. I was like, let's not, not COVID for six. I was like, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just been lovely, really, just to get back into the normal world, go shopping a little bit, get some bookshops. Yeah, it feels blissful. It feels quite weird though. I went shopping for the first time um, at a shopping centre and it just felt really weird seeing how busy it was. And I was like, yeah. I don't think I'm ready for this. It felt really, really weird. No, I love it though. So I think this week we're going to talk, we want to have a deep dive into biographies and memoirs because we know it's a genre that a lot of people don't really kind of dip into a lot, but it's definitely something that we have both been trying to sort of get into recently and I've actually seen that I don't know about you but I've the more I've dived into it as a genre the more I'm like there is so much like there's huge diversity of stuff in the space yeah yeah definitely um so with that said what books have you read maybe this week or what would you say like your top biography or memoir is this week I've actually started listening to Matthew McConaughey's um, memoir on, well, I listened to it on Audible. And that is delightful because um, his voice is just, you know, is him. Um, But I think my favourite memoir I've ever read, which really stuck with me, um, and I definitely think it's going to be one I return to again and again, is Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking, which... um, it's just incredible for everyone going through hard times, I think, because it's, it's a book about loss and kind of the way that she kind of 
navigated it and the way she, sorry, bubbles, <laughs> one sec. Um, yeah, just the kind of way that she navigated her life after the death of her husband and kind of what that looked like and how she navigated just how different life would now be without him. Um, so yeah, so that's my bet favorite recommendation. What's your top one? I've been reading one this week um, and it's a really interesting one. It's one that I bought from um, years ago and I bought it from like an Instagram account of just, yeah. you know, you see people's reels of saying like, look how lovely this cover is. And as horrible as it is to judge a book by a cover, I bought so many books from that reel because of how beautiful the covers were. Um, and this was years ago and I've only just started to read it this week. Um, and it's called The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory and it's a really interesting book because so, I'm very much into films, um, but more of like the actor and actress side and maybe the script writers. Um, this book focuses on a woman called Millicent Patrick, who essentially she created the creature, the monster in this black and white film called The Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is one of the most famous monsters out there. It's probably one of the most recognisable. And you don't really have a lot of women who create monsters in the film industry. Mm. And obviously, like, during the time, this was set during like, the 50s and 60s, um, maybe even just a tad bit earlier, because she did create monsters before this, um, where she's not credited for creating the monster. Um, someone else's, but when they done the pub, uh, the promotion tour for it, they said, oh, this is the creator of the monster. And it was the last film that she was ever on because after that, Hollywood didn't want to work with her anymore um, because she was like, well, this is my monster. And they're like, well, but we don't want you mm. to say that. We want you to say that this other man has created it. Um, and she was just never able to get another job ever again. Um, so Mallory O'Meara, as she was studying her um, film degree in uni, they like briefly mentioned... Millicent Patrick and she was doing a bit of a research project about her of there's this woman I really look up to who's created my, one of my favourite monsters and there's literally nothing about her on the internet um, it took her years to find out her original birth name um, so I've been reading that this week and it's got me into kind of like a whirlwind of like horror films that have monsters yeah. um, which I really really like it's not because whenever I normally watch horror films and more, they're more like psychological thrillers than mm. they are monsters um, so I've been reading that this week and then because Mira also does a podcast called Reading Grass and I've been listening to that this week um, and again she talks about a lot of different things in that she focuses a lot more on like science fiction graphic novels mm-hmm. a lot of young adult kind of like hunger game dystopian books yeah um so Melly O'Meara has kept me very very busy this week <laughs> oh my god I love the sound of that and yeah it's so right that I don't think I've really I don't to be honest I don't think I really even know that much about the huge amount of female creatives in the film industry in terms of people who do the kind of like incredible things that they do you know with cgi and all the all all the kind of the roles that people don't spotlight as much because everyone talks about you know female directors and screenwriters but we don't always focus on the actual other creative sides and prop side and the the cinematography and things like that yeah, it's interesting because she does mention in the book that um, for the category of special effects and makeup, mm-hmm. it, again, it's surprising because you think with makeup, you normally associate with that with women a lot more. Yeah. But um, in the Oscars, only two women have ever been nominated for special effects and makeup. Um, and only one of them has actually won. All the other have been okay. men. Yeah. 
which really surprised me because I'm so surprised I think of mostly women but then again I think the makeup industries just like other industries where it is made by men but the kind of customer audience Mm -hmm. is mostly women that's fascinating I did I really did not know that I've always just stupidly in my head just had always thought that as a very female dominated space but um so what other ones have you been kind of diving into recently or have really kind of stuck out to you I guess over the years I went through a really weird phase during the beginning of lockdown so this time Mm -hmm. last year of being obsessed with Elon Musk (laughs) I love this tell me Um, more because at the time there's just so many YouTube videos about him and there's like announcements about Tesla in these and I only knew him really as the Tesla guy of like he's the man who's bought Tesla which was quite a um dissolved company until he bought it and then kept it like on the lowdown while he was doing it up um so I read his book um and I learned about SpaceX. I kind of learned about his relationship with Grimes. And he, as well, yeah. even that surprised me, his relationship with Grimes. Yeah. Um, and they have a baby together. He has quite a few kids. He has six children. They're all boys. And they all go homeschooling together. Um, oh, my God. To be honest, like, can you imagine, like, your dad is Elon Musk, like, one of the like, top scientists and entrepreneurs. And then you're just going, like, homeschooling. Like, just you. You've got a lot to navigate there on many different levels. Oh, many different. You're really up against it. And it's interesting because from where he is white and he Mm -hmm. does just have a generic American accent, I just assumed that he was American. Um, He's actually from South Africa. Yeah, he's actually from South Africa. um, And he didn't move over to America until he was 17. And the main push for that is because um, him and his family didn't want him to end up in the compulsory military service program that South Africa okay. um so he, they moved when he was 17 um he went to university for two days and then dropped out mm-hmm. um and then he then created this thing called PayPal um and sold PayPal to eBay <laughs> and that's how he kind of started um I do not oh this is why I just don't know enough about Elon Musk but he's always been like this so um when yeah. he when he was um, still in South Africa, when he was 12, he made a video game, as all 12-year-olds do, and he sold it to a company for $500. Um, the game was called um, Blastar, I think, and he sold it for $500 yeah. when he was only 12. Wow. But, like, I, I literally, I do very much get, like, Tony Stark um, mm. and vibes from him. Um, he is incredible. Some people's brains just bonkers. Yeah, I think if I would ever want to have like a dinner with someone and just ask him everything, I just want to see how his mind... That's a good question, actually. Who would I have dinner with? Oh, so many people. Who would your top three be for a dinner party? Um, Dolly Parton, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, because I think she's just wonderful. Um... Okay, controversially, I would love to have dinner with Scooter Braun and just ask him all the questions I've always wanted to ask and be like, but do you understand? Like, just just more to grill him than for anything else. Oh, I feel like this list is so long. So, so far, um, Scooter Braun, and who else? Dolly Parton, Scooter Braun. Um... 
thing is all of mine are like people that I just want to be like I don't understand you but probably I mean probably Michelle Obama because I love her and I just want to I would want to try to lay the groundwork for us being friends yeah um which kind of yeah. leads me in I guess to, to well, you know you do yours and then I'll I'll go into my pick so, so uh, I think that'll be quite a good link actually so Michelle Obama I know that both her and Barack Obama um, have amazing biographies and I've listened yeah. to Michelle's on Audible um have you read both of them I've read both of them I remember I read Michelle Obama's autobiography pretty much as soon as it came out and I I it first of all I think anyone who's not even political who's doesn't who's not interested in politics this is such a good read because it's more talk, talking about how she got to where she is. And I also think with Michelle Obama, it's so easy to look at her as just a politician's wife. She is so accomplished in her own right. And she's so much like, people forget that Barack worked for her when that was how they met. And it's really interesting seeing her perspective on like things she wanted to do more and like her compromising in, mar- in her marriage, like when Barack wanted to be president. And I thought it was just really, it was, she was so human and so honest and so you know, about the difficulties they've had, because at the end of the day, it's not easy to be the president's wife. Um, so I loved that. And I would recommend it to anyone, just in terms of, like, I think it's just so inspiring. I think she's amazing. Massive girl crush on her. And then Barack Obama's book. So I read it, um, and it did take me a while, because it's a long one, and it's dense. I think a lot of people have done it on Audible, which I think is probably an audio book, which is probably quite a good shout just because it is so long and it's very dense it gets really into the like political nitty-gritty of like foreign policy and foreign affairs and you know the economy and it is something that you do have to like there'll be pages where you're kind of sat there think you know you're having to reread things a few times but i i liked the start i thought it's very it's readable as far as a political memoir is i think i mean it's like, I don't think it needed to be as long as it is because it's part one of two. So this was only about the first four years. Um, I think the bits I liked the most were the bits where he showed like the more human side, but then that's just me, my personal preference of like, I've always found the interaction between humans just fascinating and the way people... Um, so I loved it. I definitely think if I was to... I might do the second one on audiobook rather than... Um, reading it because I think it's very dense and I think I'll probably get the same out of it as I if I read it but I'd still recommend it as someone who's just loves the Obamas finds it fascinating finds American politics fascinating um and ultimately it's just inspiring because you know he didn't come from much which is is an anomaly as far as American presidents go yeah I think that's what kind of makes him so likable is even yeah. during his um during his presidency um the way they just interacted with people as a whole was just so wholesome um yeah. and i really like there's a particular chapter in michelle obama's book becoming um where she's so focused on her education like she's so um and this she's quite young in this i want to say she's maybe in middle school age where yeah. she's taking all these classes and then like her cousins like say to her like why do you speak like you're white um and she's like I don't know I just I just articulate my words and they're like yeah we don't want you to play with us and I think that's her like first thing of like trying to like separate the culture of yeah 
and then she kind of has like this like culture identity um like not crisis but she's searching yeah. culture is um very early on and then it's only when she's then like moving around Chicago she realizes the divide um which I found really interesting because for so many years as she was growing up she's like I'm just learning to play piano yeah. I'm just with my friends and then it gets to like um middle school age and she comes to that realization which I found really interesting well I think people it's something that particularly as a white person you don't really I don't think much attention is paid paid to you know it's something that really struck me in the vanishing half actually by Brett Bennett um, this idea of colorism and you know some people have much dark if someone goes without saying but some people have darker skin they're almost like racism can be with within the same race um and it's something that I think was kind of she doesn't talk about specifically but it is is spoken about in her book yeah. in her autobiography yeah well um, um have you read any other political ones or I don't think polit- I guess I don't tend to go into political um, memoirs just because it's just, I find current affairs very interesting now, but I'm not going to like, unless it's like, I find history, history very interesting, but I'm not always like, it's just something I don't usually gravitate towards. Um, I'm trying to think the, another, yeah, it's just not something I really ever dive into specifically. Have you read any others which you'd recommend? I think I tried to read at the time when it was happening with um, Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump um, after yeah. she after she lost the election. I read her book. Um, I haven't touched it since again because it's not because it was mm. happening. At the time I, I, I bought it. it and never read it. Might need to give that a read. Yeah, I'd be interested now to read like um, like Joe Biden's maybe because I don't know that mm. much about Joe Biden. I know about. No, and he's got um, a very interesting, very tragic him. life. Yeah. But I don't know about his past that much. So now that he's now president. Maybe that needs to be on the <laughs> list. Yeah, uh, I want to know more about him. Um, what other... I, yeah, I, sorry, I, find more, I find it more interesting to read books about presidents than I do prime ministers. I know. Well, I find the whole American political system is just so much more glitzy. It's like when they do the election night and it's like, they're moving around the maps and they're like, this is how this is going to happen. It's much more exciting than us in like a school hall counting votes. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> what other memoirs would you particularly put on people's radars? Oh, so um, this memoir is quite, it's quite an old memoir. Um, mm. And when I watched the documentary version of the memoir, again, this was a few years ago, um, but Netflix 2019 documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight, I watched the documentary and it's, for anyone who hasn't watched this, it's based off, there's this little girl called Jan um, and her mum and dad are best friends with this guy called B and B doesn't abduct her once, (laughs) he abducts her twice, once when she's 12, once when she's 14. Um, and the parents even had their own like romantic relationship with B. It's a very weird dynamic. Yeah, um, I remember that. And I just remember being so shocked by the documentary of you've you've let this this man take your child twice, and you've said each time it's okay. He's married your daughter at one point, um, and it was just I, that level of neglect I've mm. never seen before. Um, 
and it's really sad where at the end of the of the documentary she says because essentially when he kidnaps her the second time he kidnaps her into a caravan and somehow convinces her that she's been abducted by aliens mm-hmm. whenever she gets abused it's the aliens doing it because she's blindfolded each time and then it's not until she gets to college and she's talking to her college friends about it that they're saying, yeah, you know that that wasn't an alien, right? Like, you do know you were sexually abused. And then that's what inspired her to then write her book. Um, and the book kind of helps to fill in some gaps. So yeah. in the documentary, however, just briefly, it's such a weird thing to briefly skim. They just briefly skim that for some reason B has married Jan. For some reason, the second time round in, in, in Mexico. Yeah. But in the book, she explains it that B has told her I've got, got off the phone with your parents and they mm-hmm. said that we can't come back and we can't cross over the border back into America unless you marry me. So she sits there and she goes, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this because my parents don't want me home unless I'm married. And then B brings her back and the parents are like, hi. And he's like, yeah, I just married your daughter. And they're like, what? Um, yeah, it's... Mad. It's... It's... It's just a shocking, shocking version of neglect and child abuse where the parents have been actively involved with the person. I've never heard a story like it. I've never heard a story like it because it's not the parents that are abusing her, but they're letting the abuse happen. Happen, yeah. Yeah, this other person who they're in a relationship with, like this really weird three-way relationship. And... Yeah, but the book is very... If you thought the documentary was like WTF, the book <laughs> is even more so because it fills in so many gaps. Oh, my God. I need to give that a go because it's not worse and it sounds a hard read. I mean, stories of neglect are always hard to read. I mean, one of my picks is My Name is Why by Lem Sisse, which was... It was the most harrowing book I think I've ever read. It was as in, in terms of it was just... So it's about... Um, this orphan who's um well no he's not an orphan he's um uh, his pe- his mum basically gives him away and he um moves in with this family i think it's up north in, in the uk and they take him in and he is part of the family um but there's loads of really weird things that they do like it's very religious um family and they kind of punish him and basically almost like say he's like the devil um and there's just lots of little things that it's almost like gaslighting a child um it's really horrible to read um of things that he like does wrong which really there's nothing wrong with it um and they basically for all intents and purposes he's raised with these people who he thinks are his sister and brother and um then they get rid of him basically and they put him in the foster system um but they almost gaslight him and like you don't want to live with us anyway like and it's like the the way that they're manipulating this child is just so horrible to read um and then it's sort of about his experience in the foster system and like growing up and it's it's just very difficult to read he um he writes with such grace about the whole situation and you know i mean i couldn't write about people that basically abused me for that many years with that kind of language but he does it and I just was so continually impressed by him throughout the book I was like it was hard really hard to read 
Um, but I think a very important read for people who don't realise there are problems in our country, pretty much. Yeah. So I think I can imagine both that it's very uncomfortable to read, very uncomfortable to write, but mm-hmm. it does have to be put out there. Yeah. Um, An what important I, one. What, I, what other kind of memoirs have you read, or are there any memoirs or biographies that you're looking forward to? So, yeah, so I've also read The Diamond Bell and the Butterfly, which is a very quick read. It's a translated read from French into English. And it's based on John Dominique Bobby's um, life. And he basically suffered a massive stroke that left him with, you know, locked in syndrome. Um, but it's just beautiful. You know, the way he writes is just, it just gives you so much like hope for your own life. And just like to see the beauty in the in the world, um, yeah, and like the way he like learns to sort of talk with blinking and things, and it's just it's again hard because you're like, wow, I have so much to be grateful for. But it was beautiful. And then I read, um, obviously, we were talking a lot before about Glennon Doyle's memoir, which I think is a great read for anyone who just wants to feel inspired. And yeah, I think those are the other two which I've I've always struck me. How about you? I'm really looking forward to Dave Grohl's biography. It's called The Storyteller. It's not out for ages. It's not mm-hmm. out in October. Um, because again, whenever you try to look up like Dave Grohl biography kind of type books, a lot of it's mm-hmm. like Nirvana days. And yeah. that's such a small part of his life because Nirvana wasn't around for that many years. No. Um, and then he's, done, he's had a longer career with Food Fighters than he has with um, Nirvana. Yeah. Um, and I, I just read. I love Dave Grohl. I like how um, they done their, an arrangement on BBC Two. I think during lockdown that he had arranged all different singers for charities singing together. Um, and I just think he's an amazing songwriter. And I don't really know that much about him. Like not on a personal level of like his relationship to his marriage. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea about his upbringing, how he got so into guitar and drums because he's mm-hmm. a multi instrumentalist, which blows my mind. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm very excited for October this year. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm definitely going to pick that one and read when that one comes out. And I think Sinead O'Connor's book is out later this year. So again, that's definitely one I'm going to be checking out. Um, are there any other things that, before we get into sort of our closing bits and sort of what we're doing this week? Oh, any more bits? Is, has there been like, any more TV shows or any like documentary or biography? Kind of films you've watched? It's really gravitating. This is pretty bad. I don't really tend to gravitate towards it as a genre. Like I always go for like the dram- dramatized version of autobiographies and memoirs, um, rather than anything else. How about you? There's one that I watched a few months ago um, called Brain on Fire. I think. Okay. That has Chloe Grace Moretz. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays the lead and essentially this woman who has a very very specific type of seizure where her, her the nerves in her brain are literally on fire and there's like no they can't identify its origin they can't identify what triggers it um because at first they thought that she was developing some kind of um brain or mental illness because she had mm-hmm. a high corporate job and it turned out that she had like this I think it's like two percent of the world have it, um, and oh it's curable. It's treatable, but it's incurable. And you don't know what the cause for it is. Yeah, I know that's also based on her memoir, um, "A Year of My Brain Being on Fire" or "My Brain on Fire," 
and I found that really interesting. Um, but I think Netflix are quite good with their their memoir adaptations. Yeah, generally they seem to be. I don't think I can pinpoint specific ones. Oh, I think when they see us, the dramatization of that, I think that was really well done. Um, Brain on Fire, Abducting Planes, and the whole Lutheran series. Yeah. Um, when he interviews so many like vast, diverse people, mm. um, I find that really interesting. And then, yeah. um, um, especially because I think a lot of people when they read memoirs, they'll try and focus on like big celebrities. Like I cannot yeah. tell you how many times I've she- I've seen Sharon Osbourne's biography in the charity shop. I know. <laughs> but I think what I kind of like about Louis Theroux is that he will kind of do memoirs on like these like kind of like smaller town people who are doing mm. like projects um and I find that really interesting because they're still having an effect they're just not yeah. they're just they just don't have Instagram essentially that's what it is it's true this is very true cool I'm trying to think about anything else it's more the books that I gravitate towards yeah okay we well, should we get into the closing bits yeah, so has there been any like new music that you've been obsessed with lately? So I've been listening to Eric Church a lot um, recently. I am, though I'm really obsessed with the new, well, two things actually. Jameson Rogers' new EP that came out on Friday called In It For The Money, which I just think is some of the most honest, authentic storytelling I've heard. It's why I love country music. You know, there's a song called basically it's singing about who's in it for the money he'd have quit a long time ago like it's basically just a very honest portrayal of like being a songwriter in nashville so that's one i've loved um i am also absolutely adoring fancy haygood's record southern curiosity um which actually i spoke to him very recently so i'll I'll be sharing that interview soon but it's phenomenal it's i mean it's the first real like proper He's not really country, it's sort of like more of a mix of genres, but he's based in Nashville. And he taught, I spoke to him and he was saying, you know, that before he was kind of basically like asked to change pronouns and stuff. And this is the first time he's released a record where it's like him authentically himself. You know, he's, um, it's one of my favorite songs on it. It's called Mr. Atlanta. It's just such a tune. Um, and I just think it's a really, really honest record that I think a lot of people need to hear who are in the queer community or who aren't. Like, I think it's just, those are the kind of voices I want to hear more of. And I want that to be part of mainstream culture rather than it just being, like, obviously it's part of the queer culture, but it should also be part of the mainstream culture because it's music and it's lo- about love and it it's applicable to everyone. And just, yeah, I have so many feelings about that, but um I just wish that that record would be paid more attention to. Oh, I love the sound of that. I I, I know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of this weekend now. (laughs) You'll love it. You'll love it. How about you? What have you been listening to this week? I've got a bit of an oldie and a newie. Love it. So my oldie is, I was watching, I don't know why, I just go through phases of um, watching every single interview I can find of any random celebrity, and I just yeah. for a few for a few days. So I had that this week with James Taylor. And oh, I love that. He's he's done an interview with someone like years ago of um, like tips for any upcoming songwriters, yeah. and he talked about this story of he was um, he said that his song "Turn Away," which is a song I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. When it comes to James Taylor, before this week, I only really listened to "Fire and Rain." Um, and he says, he's like, oh, my song Turn Away 
is was inspired by me listening to the Beatles night before and all I yeah. said was I changed the chords, I changed the lyrics, but I kept that main theme of the idea of this person walking away from me. And I've done that with quite a few songs. And my impression of James Taylor is that he's like this folk artist because he's kind yeah. of on the same um, shelf as Joni Mitchell. So I expected to listen to Turn Away and it'd be like this really slow, sad folk song. And it's like a synthy pop song, very much Phil Collins vibes. Interesting. And I've listened to it on repeat and I will probably be sick of it <laughs> soon. If you but I loved it. Um, and then my newbie, my new song, um, it's a song called Blue Neck by Chris Huseman, Huseman House. Yeah. Um, and it's like the, the whole song lyric. I, I was listening to it and you know when you can't just listen to music and then yeah. one lyric just popped out and I was like, I need to listen to this song again from the beginning because there's a lyric in it where he says George Strait or George Gay, there's no difference. And I was like, hold on, hold on. This song is not what I thought it was. Let me go back to the beginning and listen to it from the beginning. Um, and Blue Neck is essentially him describing himself as like a liberal redneck, like he's like a liberal sufferer. Um, and he's talking about how like he supports the American dream, but the American yeah. dream is like justice and liberty for all. Mm. Let's make it actually for all. And he sings about Black Lives Matter in it. And oh my God. I need I to really, click, click that onto my Spotify. That sounds so good. And I really like that. Obviously, country music's become that much broader, like especially like Mickey Guyton's Black Like Me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that there's like a white man supporting it as well, because essentially country music is very white male dominated. And for him to also be supporting that message, um, I just think it's, it's just lovely. And it's such a huge step forward because it's great that these minorities are like speaking up about their support and where they stand from. But country music as a whole, unless the mainstream artists and the people who make up the majority mm-hmm. also voice that support. Then it's never going to change. It's not going to change. So I really like, I just like blue neck because of the whole. I love that idea. Country singers are normally like rednecks. He's like, yeah, but I'm a blue neck because I'm liberal. That's <laughs> special. I love that. I need to give that a listen to. Yeah. What have you been reading slash watching as well this week? I have been, well, this weekend I watched the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race, um, which I was very, very happy about because it has yeah. been one of the longest seasons ever because there's been extra episodes and I just wanted to find out who won. Um, and then the person who won isn't who I thought was going to win. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. Sad. Um, um, essentially, this is the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race where there's been a transgender drag queen. And it okay. was transitioned from being female to male, mm-hmm. and um, they called Gottmik. And mm-hmm. they struggled with it because they went, I know I'm not a female, but I'm still very feminine. Yeah. Um, and it was such a lovely journey to see, and they were yeah. smashing it, and then they didn't win. The person who was one, um, Simone, amazing. I just really wanted Gottmik to win to say yeah. support of the transgender community and yeah. drug culture. Um, so that's what I've been watching this week. What have you been watching? I've been re-watching Friends. I haven't watched it in years. Come I don't even know watch. what what part part of me it was like, I'm going to re-watch it. But apparently I'm re-watching Friends at the moment. And I forgot, like, it's very problematic, obviously, a lot of it now. But I forgot how funny it can be. Like, it is 
it's a it's a famous amazing sitcom for a reason probably the most famous one and yeah i've been loving that and then i've been uh reading emily henry's new book um which is called you and me on vacation which is probably the perfect beach read for the summer which is out in july i believe um and then i'm still reading the prophets um which is beautiful it's a great read but it's just taking me much longer i feel like i've been a bit of a book rut recently which i need to break um but i knew that was gonna happen post lockdown how about you um i am going to try to read maybe my first fantasy book this month i don't Ooh. know which one just because i remember when when obviously I was a teenager and I was reading young adult books, most successful young adult books are fantasy or dystopian. Um, yeah. Like um, Hunger Games, things like Twilight, things like Percy Jackson, um, things like Noughts and Crosses. Um, and I really want to get back into that because I think I've just been reading books that are too real and I need to yeah. back in my head and get lost in a Game of Thrones fantasy land, land. but without it being Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones, I find that just too heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be now that Waterstones is back open. Yay! I'm I'm going to go in there next weekend and buy my first. I don't oh, treat yourself. Treat yourself to all the bits. Yeah, I've got a stack which I got for my birthday, so I'm going to be wading my way through those hopefully soon, which I can't wait. I've got so many on there that I'm like really ready to dive into, like White Ivy is one that I've wanted to read for ages. So I am so excited. I'm so ready. Um, but yeah, I guess what are you looking forward to this week and before we wrap up? I'm looking forward to, if I go to the pub again, seeing if I can last more than the two hours that yes. I did again. Um, a lot of doubles, that's what I'll say about that. I want to see if I can last longer than two hours in a pub. Um, I believe in you. And, and be able to get home by myself. <laughs> Essentially. What have you got planned for your week? a lot like got a few drinks with friends which would be really nice and then it's bank holiday weekend so i can't wait to just get out in the sunshine and just get some tan on rather than burn that i got yesterday so yeah i guess that's everything for this week do you want to let people know where they can find you so people can find me on instagram at hey underscore it's madeline I say, I say that but I barely post anything it's just a lot of insta stories of me being I'm reading this week now this week I refuse to post any new posts until I've got my hair appointment on Thursday yeah every time um so that's where people can find me on social media where can people find you everyone can find me at everywhere at www.offtherecorduk.com or follow me personally at Imogen L Marshall so I think that's it for this week, but make sure to tune in for next week for another episode. So thanks everyone. Bye. Cool.